Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Nathan Geraci. Nate, are you ready to do this? Let's do it. Excellent. Let's do this. Nate is the co-founder and president of the ETF store. I believe that you are the first for, the first firm to offer uh, exclusively ETFs. You are also the host of the ETF Prime podcast. I'm excited to have you on. Nate, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Yeah, so I'm based here in Kansas City. I'm uh, married to a beautiful wife, have two daughters, and Interestingly, I'm not originally from Kansas City. I grew up in a military family. You name the state, I probably lived there at some point. Uh, lived overseas in, in Europe for six, seven years. Ended up going to the University of uh, Kansas, and just off the Kansas City area was a wonderful place to to raise kids. And to to understand why I do what I do, you know, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. And so when I got out of school. I had an opportunity to uh, go into a uh, an early tech startup uh, here in town, and it, it was a, a wonderful experience. I helped uh, grow that company from less than a million in revenue to over 400 million in revenue. Really had a front row seat for what ended up being a tremendous success story uh, here in Kansas City. But all the while, that was actually not in the investing space. Uh, and all the while, I've always had a passion around finance and investing. And back around 2006, 2007, uh, I had worked uh, with the CFO at that company, and we had talked about doing something in the financial services space. And it's funny, we would, you know, trade stock tips around the office on buying 100 shares of Garmin or Microsoft or whatever. It's something that we always had an interest in, and we weren't quite sure how that would manifest itself. But uh, sort of like you may see in a movie, he he came to me in early 2008, met at a bar over beer had a napkin on the table and said, you know, hey, you know, started scribbling, drawing stuff out. What do you think about branding an investment advisory firm around ETFs? And back at that time, uh, 08, there there weren't a whole lot of uh, advisory firms using ETFs. There were still a lot of challenges in the industry itself where advisory firms were pushing proprietary products, commission-based products. Uh, we, we thought that the portfolios that were being offered weren't overly and intelligently constructed. And we thought there was an opportunity to brand an investment advisory firm around exchange-traded funds. And so we set out to do that uh, to give you sort of a, a sense as to my risk tolerance, I guess, for better or worse. I, you know, I left a, a great job. I had a, a one-year-old at home. My wife was pregnant uh, with, with our second, uh, left uh, that job and, and started an uh, investment advisory firm during the financial crisis. Uh, so I guess you could say I have a, a high risk tolerance, but <laughs> you know I'm the type of person that I just yeah I know it's cliche I can't be sitting in the rocket the uh, rocking chair at 75 or 80 saying I just check the box through life uh, it's just not my demeanor. So long story short, we we uh, started building out the investment advisory firm, uh, and you know as it relates to the the podcast, an interesting story in, in 2011. I was uh, sitting in a Starbucks and place was packed. I was meeting with somebody and we were talking about the business, the, the ETF store business and, and how to grow it. And I had this hypothesis that nobody knew what an ETF was. So believe it or not, I actually went around that Starbucks, asked everybody there, hey, have you ever heard of an ETF? 
Not one person had heard of an ETF. So I said, hey, we have a really big problem here. Our firm is branded around ETFs. Nobody knows what one is. So how do we solve that? I said, let's try launching a, a radio show. I had no background in radio, never planned on being on radio, never wanted to be on radio, but launched a, uh, a radio show in Kansas City uh, focused on just educating the broader public on ETFs. We developed a nice following here locally, started disseminating the podcast through different podcast channels, so the iTunes of the world. Uh, and, you know, I'll just fast forward to today. So the show is now downloaded in every state in the country, 125 countries around the world. We have uh, guests from across the ETF landscape on the program uh, every week. And uh, so what we're doing, George, is we're, you know, continuing to, to build out our registered investment advisory firm, the ETF store here that's focused on serving retail and client, uh, retail clients. Uh, we, we use all ETF portfolios. We're also full service and that we do you know, financial planning, insurance, you know, really any sort of financial need that the end client may have. So we have that that going, building that out here in Kansas City. And then we have the uh, the podcast uh, as well, which is to help educate, uh, again, the broader public on ETFs. Nice. So 10 years in, which time flies, right? Um, what it was it, right? What was it about ETFs that was so attractive 10 years ago? And is that still the case today? Or maybe it's even more so? Yeah, so I think the first thing, there's a saying that ETFs are bought, not sold. And one of the things that we saw 10 years ago was, again, there was a lot of proprietary investment product being pushed. Uh, mutual funds with sales loads, annuities, a lot of products that did not seem like they were in the best interest of end clients. They really helped the advisor's financial future more than the end clients. Right. Uh, I, I, think, I think things have certainly trended in a better direction overall. Uh, in, in terms of that, I think less and less of those products are being used, but there's still a lot of them out there. And so I, I think just one of the first you know, compelling value propositions of ETFs is that they don't pay commissions to advisors. Um, you know, I think more importantly, if you look at some of the trends in place over the last 10 years, there's been a move from uh, active management to, to passive or index-based management. There's been this move from high cost to low cost. Uh, ETFs have been able to take advantage of both of those trends. They do tend to be lower cost than other investment products. Uh, they do tend to be index-based, which if you look at the data, uh, you know, index-based investments tend to have a, a, a better go of it than actively managed funds. And then you start talking about things like the tax efficiency of the ETF wrapper, the transparency, knowing what you own every single day, and the ability to build a well-diversified portfolio. I think all of those are still every bit as relevant today as they were 10 years ago. And it's interesting because, you know, even today you'll, you'll see articles out there, the financial media that maybe talks about ETFs becoming too big a piece of the market, uh, or there, there are too many ETFs out there. And I would tell you, I think we're still in the third or fourth inning of where ETFs are, are heading longer term. I still think we're we're really early. And, and I can tell you that just because we talk to, again, end retail investors, and many are still just now becoming familiar, uh, familiarized with ETFs and how they may be beneficial in a portfolio. Something, I, I, I appreciate that very much. I think that there are certain tax benefits of ETFs that, that people don't understand, that, that, they, that they don't know about. Um, and I have to imagine that's something I want to get into here in a little bit, that you're going to see 
perhaps new new asset classes um, with ETFs like cryptocurrency and blockchain and things like that. Um, before we get into that, I just wanted to get your take on or the ETF store's philosophy on portfolio construction of developing a quote unquote core and then I don't know if, 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 if you consider different satellites, kind of that, 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 that core satellite concept, but I want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I may have a little bit of a different philosophy than some other people in terms of investment management. Uh, management. It's my belief that investment management overall has become commoditized. And the way I would describe that is if we have three advisors sitting in a room and they're all fiduciaries, all, they're all trying to do the best thing for the end client, whether they're using, you know, whether it be ETFs or, or mutual funds or whatever the case may be, after 15, 20 years, if they're truly trying to do the best thing for that client, I think all three of those advisors end up in relatively the same place. And so the way that we approach investment management, I, I think it's much more behaviorally driven that, yes, you have to have well-constructed portfolios and you want to pay attention to all the things that I mentioned earlier in terms of low cost and tax efficiency. But ultimately, what it gets down to is investor behavior. You can have the, the, the most well thought out, best constructed investment portfolio on the planet, but if the end client can't stick with it, it doesn't matter. And so that really it, it sort of overrides everything that we do. It's the investor behavior piece. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we don't do a tremendous amount of due diligence to make sure that the ETFs we own in our portfolio or we think uh, you know, best represent an asset class, uh, in that, you, you know, we're not focusing a lot of effort on building well-diversified portfolios. We, we do. And we, we're basically strategic asset allocators. We will invest in asset classes around the globe. Um, also, you know, I think it's interesting if you look at some of the, the niche ETFs. So, you know, we can certainly talk about the potential for, for Bitcoin or cryptocurrency ETFs. But, but let's take themes like robotics um, in, in, in automation. You know, we'll have clients that come to us because we are the ETF store and say, hey, I, I've, I've heard about this theme. I'm interested in robotics and automation. How do I invest in that through an ETF? And so we will do the due diligence and, and find what we believe is the ETF that best represents that uh, particular niche. And our belief going back to the behavioral side is, you know what? Every investor we think has some semblance of a gambler inside of them. And so if we can say, hey, you know what? invest two and a half percent or five percent of your portfolio in some of these niche plays if that's going to help keep you invested in the other 95 percent globally diversified portfolio then that's a home run and you have the upside of the niche etf so you know just high level but I, I, the impression i want to uh, get across here is it's really investor behavior uh, that that ultimately rules the day and i i, I absolutely agree with that um I think that's a that's that's really well put. Um, so w- whether it's some kind of a cryptocurrency or a commodity or something as niche as robotics, there's a place for that so long as your 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 core portfolio is is diversified. And I know that yeah, there has there has to be guardrails in place mm-hmm. on those for sure. I saw a, a recent blog post of yours talking about the asset class quilt, and that's something that I think everybody that's inside the industry is familiar with and has seen, but I don't know that people outside of the industry are necessary, necessarily familiar with it, if you could just touch on that a little bit. Yeah, so essentially what this shows is how different asset classes have performed going back over a period of time. So for example, we may look back over the past 20 years 
and, and take some of the major asset classes, so large cap U.S. stocks, small cap U.S. stocks, international stocks, emerging market stocks, various uh, bond categories, gold, commodities. And effectively what it does for each year, it will show where each of those asset classes performed. And the interesting thing about this is it looks like a quilt. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no real pattern. So you may see a situation where perhaps emerging market stocks are the top performer for a couple of years in a row. And then guess what? For the next two years after that, they're the worst performer. And the whole point here is as an investor, it's really difficult to predict which asset class may be the top performer in any given year. It, it, nobody has a crystal ball. And so the idea here is you do want to focus on diversification in a portfolio. And if you look, a lot of times these asset um, quilt will have sort of a proxy for a diversified portfolio. And it generally falls right in the middle of that quilt, which is exactly what you would expect. But, you know, I think the, the main point there is, is it shows why it's important to diversify as an investor, because again, nobody can predict the future. So, and I appreciate that description. I think that's when you see it visually represented, it's, it's, it, it drives the point home that diversification is such an important thing and it helps to obviously manage risk. And we don't know what's going to happen in politics or across the world or anything else. All we can really manage is that, 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 that we're taking a diversified approach to it. So, um, can you tell me a little bit about when we start talking about the differences between mutual funds and ETFs? I think that a lot of people understand that, but are there major differences between ETFs and mutual funds that invest in commodities? Well, I, I think it depends on the type of um, commodity exposure that you're you're receiving. So, you know, there are ETFs that will invest in equities that are tied to the commodity space. And there are certainly mutual funds that do the same, but there are ETFs, uh, for example, that will invest in uh, futures uh, for various commodities uh, or, uh, you know, the gold ETF is a good example. So something like the spider gold trust GLD or the iShares uh, gold trust, which actually owns physical bars of gold. And so when you start looking at, at the structure of mutual funds versus ETFs, there are, there are certain areas in the commodity space where you may not find a mutual fund counterpart to, to what exists in the ETF space. And does that change then the taxation of it? I, I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but I guess I'm just trying to figure out what the if, if, if we really drill down some of the main differences between mutual funds and ETFs. Well, certainly overall in the tax efficiency, that's applicable regardless of the asset class. So you're not going to have the level of capital gain distributions that you have uh, in mutual funds uh, with ETFs. Um, but, you know, when you look at the commodity space specifically, if you're investing in something like gold, it's going to be taxed as a collectible. Or if you're investing in futures-based products, there's going to be some, some uh, distinction there in terms of long-term and short-term capital gains and how those are taxed. So it's really going to depend on the underlying asset class in terms of how it's taxed. Got it. Okay. Excellent. Uh, just to take a, take a step back and to talk about, we, we, we touched on um, investor behavior and how that was really the key driver of how successful somebody is going to be with investing. What do you find in 
in in your now time running the firm and interacting with people on a really consistent basis that people need to start doing more of and or stop doing? You know, I think the biggest thing is the financial media in sort of the 24-7 news cycle, and I'd throw social media in there as well. If you think about the information that investors have access to, uh, you know, there's a saying out there that investors today have access to more information than the president did 20 years ago. Right. Uh, there's just, there, there's an information fire hose out there and it's very difficult to stay even killed and remove emotion when we're bombarded uh, nonstop with, with various headlines. Uh, you, you think about this year, elections and trade wars and, uh, you know, interest rates. And so I think that, you know, there's a balance there because at the same time, you don't want to just put your head in the sand and ignore the news. I think it's good for investors to be educated on what's going on in the financial markets, because I think if you're educated, then it will help you control your behavior. But again, there's a balance there because if you're reacting to every headline that's out there, um, it can be very difficult. I, I think ultimately you want to pay attention to the news sources where you're getting your news from. Uh, obviously, you know, you want to focus on, on more reputable sources. You know, everybody today has a blog. Everybody has a podcast. Uh, there are so many different websites out there. So I, I think certainly the information source is important. And then also, you know, is the information you're getting, is it applicable to, to your investments longer term. So, you know, are the things that you're consuming, um, do they, do they focus on things that are important things that we've talked about, like costs and tax efficiency in behavior, or is it just, um, you know, clickbait to, to get you to emotionally react? I, th I think you have to be able to differentiate between those. Yeah, it is a, it can be all consuming if we let it. So I appreciate that. Well, Nate, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? So I think this is perfect. This really fits in with our conversation today. For every investor out there, I think you really have to focus on controlling the things that you can. So just like we were talking about with the news headlines, you can't control what happens in the market. You can't control what the Federal Reserve does. You can't control what the, the president may tweet out but you can control things like your investment costs. You can control your taxes. You can control your own investor behavior. And so I think that's really what it comes down to. If you wanna be successful longer term, focus on the things that, that you can actually control that you have influence over and minimize the things that you don't have control over. I think if you do those things uh, longer term, you're gonna be in a much better place. Well, that is great stuff that definitely gets a come on, come on. And Nate, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Sure. The, the best place to go is ETFstore.com. And I assume that they can find your podcast there as well, which I know that they can because I was looking at it a little bit earlier. That is today. correct. So. <laughs> that is correct. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Nate your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to the ETFstore.com. Check out the podcast as well. Um, it's ETF Prime. Thank you again, Nate. Thank you, George. My pleasure. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing. Leave us a review. 
and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.